Please take your Bibles, excuse me, and turn with me to the book of Matthew. We are in Matthew chapter 6. Today we will consider the the second, the last portion of verse 9 of chapter 6, although we will read all of uh, chapter 6, verse 9 through 15 as we continue to consider the Lord's Prayer, uh, this prayer that God has given to us um, to pray as necessary, but also as a framework to guide our prayers as we approach him. And so please read with me as I read from Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse nine. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. And our focus today is on that portion of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, as we consider these words, hallowed be your name. Open our eyes to the truths that are here. Shape our prayers so that our lives might be shaped as well. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Last time we were together, we looked at the first portion of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven. Uh, and we were reminded that through the work of Christ, we are sons of the living God, sons of the God who is enthroned in heaven. It's an introduction to the prayer. It's a reminder of why we are able to approach God's throne in prayer. It's a, it's a reminder for us of the work that's been done to give us access to God. And it's also a reminder of who we have access to. Our Father in heaven. Not just some buddy who sits there and lavishes uh, whatever we want upon us, but the God of the universe is the one to whom we pray, is, is our Father, is the one to whom we have access to. And then moving on in the Lord's Prayer, we have six petitions, six requests that we make to God, and it's important for us to see who the requests are directed to, who the requests are about, especially in the first three. What is the pronoun in the first three petitions? It is your. It is not ours. It is not mine. It is not me. It is your. Your name be hallowed. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And it reminds us that as we approach our Father in heaven, In prayer, that prayer is about God far more than it is about us. While it is true that prayer is about us because we do pray for our needs, we do pray for confession of our sins, we do pray that God lead us well in our lives. But prayer, as our life should be, is about God. And this first petition reminds us of what life is to be about what prayer is to be about when it calls us to hallowed be your name. 
Today, as we look at how our prayer life should be ordered, we will look at the first of these three petitions that are focused on God and see how that God will glorify his name through us. First, what does this phrase, hallowed be your name, mean? For all the work that the New International Version and the English Standard Version have done to update the language of the King James Version into a more modern translation, they leave this word hallowed in the translation. Hallowed is an old word that really we only come across one time every year. Do you know where we come across hallowed that one time every year? Halloween. Yes. Halloween comes from the root hallowed. Actually, in the church calendar and the more liturgical churches than we are, they they celebrate all Hallows Eve on Halloween. That's just where Halloween comes from. It's a shortened version of All Hallows Eve or the evening of All Hallows, which is the day before All Saints Day, which is another word that comes from the word hallowed. And this should help us to understand what it means to be hallowed. In the original language, hallowed comes from the same word, root word that we take saint or holy one or sanctified from. See, God's name is to be set apart as sacred or as holy. And so when Jesus tells us to pray, hallowed be your name. What he is telling us is that we should see God's name as glorious, as sacred, as sanctified. But what does it mean when we say, hallowed be your name? In the context that Jesus was ministering in, they did not say the name of God, that four letter name that came from Exodus chapter three, what we know as Yahweh or Jehovah. And the reality is we do not know how to pronounce that name. We come as close as we can with Yahweh, but we don't know the pronunciation of that name because they saw those four letters as so sacred that they would not pronounce it out loud. We get Jehovah because they've taken another name of God, Adonai. They've added the vowel points of Adonai to the consonants of Yahweh. And that's where we got Jehovah from. But the reality is they saw that as so sacred They would not speak it aloud. Is that what Jesus is saying? Should we be careful in how we use the name of God? Well, absolutely, we should. We have way too many people in our world today that take the name of God and use it as a curse word. And absolutely, we should give reverence to God's name. But that's not all that Jesus means here. In Jesus context, in the Hebrew context before that, a name was not just a verbal tag by which we use to identify somebody. When we talked about reverencing somebody's name, we talked about the entirety of their being. Their name represented who they are. Their name represented what they did, what they said, the totality of their being. And so when Jesus calls us to pray, hallowed be your name, he is calling us to pray that everything about God be glorified in this world. 
God is or Jesus is praying here is teaching us to pray that God be glorified in all creation. And brothers and sisters, sometimes it's hard for us to see, but God is glorified in all creation. This is a petition that God do the hallowing of his name. We'll see how this applies to us here in a few moments, but it's important for us to see that Jesus is calling for God's name to be hallowed. To be glorified in creation. Isaiah 6. Isaiah is in the throne room of God. He hears the song or one of the songs that the angelic beings sing as they float, as they fly around the throne of God. And what he hears is holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Jesus is praying to God to do something that he is doing. The earth is not being filled with his glory. The earth will not one day be filled with his glory. The earth is full of his glory. God's glory is manifest in the sunrise, the sunset, in the beauty of creation, in the order of creation, in the sustaining of creation, in the activities of That happen within creation that shocks us a little bit because oftentimes the activities that humans perform within creation many, many times are anything but glorious to our eyes. Paul says in first Corinthians 13 verse 12 that we see now that glory in a dark, dirty mirror. But one day when we stand face to face, we will see that glory as though we see face to face. Brothers and sisters, God is in the business of hallowing his name. And so when we say hallowed be your name, it means that God will and is glorifying his name. But it doesn't just mean that. It also means that God will glorify his name through us. Now, there are many different ways that we could look at how God will hallow, will glorify himself through us. But today I want us to look at prayer. God glorifies his name through his people and he has done so throughout history. And one of the ways that we do that, that we join in that work of God's name being glorified is in our prayers. Turn with me to Psalm 63. As you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of a background on this psalm. Psalm 63 is a psalm written by David. It's a psalm that was written, we're told by the superscript there, that it was written when he was in the desert of Judah. Many scholars believe that this psalm was written while David was fleeing from his son Absalom after Absalom had taken over the throne from David, had deposed David, and David was fleeing for his life. Here, as I read these words of David, O God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have beheld you in the sanctuary or I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name, I will lift up my hands. 
My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods and with singing lips. My mouth will praise you on my bed. I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you and your right hand upholds me. They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and will become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him. While the mouths of liars will be silenced. When it comes to hallowing God's name, when it comes to glorifying God's name in prayer, uh, Tim Keller sees in this psalm five aspects or facets of glorifying God. And, and the outline for the rest of this section will, will come from Tim Keller. The first facet or aspect of glorifying God that, that we see in this psalm is the aspect of thinking. David is thinking about the things that God has done for him. Or is doing for him. He's thinking about the glories of God. And who God is. He is thinking about the greatness of God. And what he has done. And the reason he is doing this. In bringing glory to God in his prayer. Is because praise. Adoration and glorifying God. Is linked according to C.S. Lewis. To to love. You know when we say we love somebody. A friend, a spouse, a parent. And somebody says, well, tell me why you love them. Do we say, oh, I don't I, I don't know. I just love them. Or do we say, you know what? She's beautiful. She's kind. She's compassionate. She's humble. He's trustworthy. He is somebody who I can relate to in a way that I feel safe sharing my, my deepest, darkest secrets. We, we give some specifics when we love somebody and those specifics are praise. And we should do the same thing for God. Do we love God enough to know specifically why he is glorious to us? To be able to think about specific things about him. He's not just great. Why is he great? What are things that make him great? Is it the creation? Is it something he's doing in your life right now? Or is it something as the psalmist in Psalm 77 who says, I can't see you working in my life right now. Why have you abandoned me? But I know you're great because of these things you have done for your people in the past. We think about things about God. So the first facet is thinking. The second aspect or facet is expression. We don't just think about good things about God. We express them. David in Psalm 22 opens up with why he feels forsaken by God. And he goes through everything that's wrong in his life. Then he talks about trusting God in the midst of everything that's wrong in his life. And then he says in verse 22 of Psalm 22, I will share those good things about you in the assembly of my brothers and sisters. Think about the prayer list we have every week. The prayer requests that we talk about. A shameful truth is, do you know how people come off the prayer, the prayer list in our congregation? Except for rare exceptions, they either die or I just haven't had an update on them in so long, I just take them off. 
We pray for sick people all the time. When they're healed, do we praise God for it? Do we stand up and say, hey, look, so-and-so has been on the prayer list for a while. Let me tell you what God's done in their life. We express out loud the greatness, the glory, the praises that we have for God. It's not just thinking about a list of things that he's great, but it's expressing them. It's speaking them. It's putting them out there in the open. And letting other people know about the greatness, the glory, the magnificence of God. So we think we express. Number three is we compare in Psalm 63, look at verses uh, three and verse five. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. David here is taking what he's thinking and expressing about God and he's comparing it to things in his life. David says that God's love is better to him than even being alive. <clears throat> And God is so satisfying to him that he's he's better than the richest of foods. Do you compare the greatness and the glory of God with the things that you demand from this world? If you do, do you find God greater than those things? You know, God to me is definitely far better than sickness and illness. But is he better to me than the greatest joys of this world? Honestly, most of the time, no. And how do I know that? Because when life is tough, when life is good, instead of running to God, I run to those things. We want comfort out of this life. We want love out of this life. We want acceptance out of this life. Is God's comfort better to you than alcohol or food or sex? Is God's love greater to you than the love of a spouse or a friend? Is God's acceptance of you through the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ greater to you than the acceptance of this world? Or do we compromise God's message? Because we fear man more than we fear God. Paul said in his letters that the sufferings and hardships of this world are not comparable to the glory that God has in store for him. Brothers and sisters, how often you and I get this backwards. We hold on to the pleasures, to the goods of this world, which only brings suffering and struggle. When we make them bigger and better than God. We consider the things of this world more glorious than God and his promises. Oh, that I may be like David. Oh, that I may be like Paul. And see the love of God is better than this life. The glory of God is better than anything in this world. Thinking, expression, comparison, beholding. Now, beholding can be rare at times. Beholding is this tasting And seeing verse two of Psalm 63, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Have You ever had those times in your life where God just manifested his power and his glory in your life in palpable ways. In ways that you couldn't help but know that it was God. 
those things are few and far between. Now we, we try to, we try to manipulate those feelings sometimes, whether it's through music or putting ourselves back in situations or, or locations where we felt those things. But the more we hallow God's name, the more we glorify Him in our life and in our prayer, the more we will behold His power. The more we see Him as greater than the things of this world, the more we will understand and behold the glory of God in our life and be able to enter the sanctuary, be able to enter the presence of God in worship and see Him there. Know that He is here. Know that His glory is in our life. We've thought about God and what He has done. We've expressed God's goodness to us out loud. We have compared God to the things of this world and seen Him as better. We have beheld His glory. We have beheld His power. The fifth facet or aspect of this is resting in God's glory. Resting is the experience of undeserved grace. Look at Psalm 63, verse 11. But the king will rejoice in God. Through a series of events in David's life that were set in motion with his sin against Bathsheba and Uriah, David finds himself in a position where he is anything but the king. His son Absalom has successfully revolted against him, has successfully gained the support of the people of Israel. And David is in this desert because he is fearful for his life because he has lost his throne and his son is seeking to secure his place on the throne by killing his father. David is anything but the king. David deserves to be anything but the king. But David understands something that's more important than his actions. And it's that word love in verse three. The word love in verse three is a word that is translated in other translations as steadfast love, faithful love, covenant love. It's the love that God expresses towards his people that has nothing to do with what they do. But everything to do with his faithfulness. Why can David call himself the king in spite of the fact that he has uh, lost the throne, in fact, in spite of the fact that his life is in danger, in spite of the fact that it's his own sin that has led him to this place. How can he still rely? How can he still call himself the king? Because God has promised that he will be the king. And then a son of his, of God's choosing, will sit upon that throne forever. And so David says, your covenant faithfulness is more important to me than life. And it's that covenant faithfulness that will see me back on the throne. Not my righteousness, not my goodness, but your covenant faithfulness. And brothers and sisters, we can rest in undeserved grace because the descendant of David has been sent into the wilderness for us. The descendant of David who deserved The presence of the king who deserved the throne has been cast into the wilderness and punished for our sins. And we can rest in that undeserved grace, knowing that our feeble attempts at glorifying God in his name will be seen by him as acceptable and are glorious to him because of the king. How do we glorify? How does God glorify himself through us and through our prayers? He does it through thinking through our thinking, through our expression, through our comparison, through our beholding, through our resting in him. 
God will glorify his name through us. This is just one tiny part of our life. We could consider how we hallow and glorify God's name in our relationships. We can consider how we hallow and glorify God's name in our obedience, in our evangelism, in our pursuit of sanctification, in in our worship, in our song. But I think glorifying God in the rest of our lives begins with hallowing his name in our prayers. See, when we come to an understanding that our experience of God through Jesus is greater than anything that we can pursue in our lives, as we pursue these five aspects of glorifying God in our prayers, many of those other things will begin to fall into place. Brothers and sisters, do we hallow God's name? Are the things that God has done for you important enough to speak aloud? to list, to think about, to compare, to behold, and to rest in. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do seek to hallow your name. Remind us, bring to mind things that you have done for us, whether now or in the past. Help us to express them to you in our prayer and in the gathering of the saints. Help us to see you as far better than anything this world can offer. Help us to see your power and glory as we gather in the sanctuary and help us to rest in who you are and what you have done. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen.